Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Truth with Susie Ann. And this is your host, Susie Ann. Our topic for today is the history of pants. Now, I will be taking different different articles that I have found while I was doing my research, so bear with me. So because some information might actually sound similar. I will summarize the info I got from this article called Why Do We Even Wear Pants by Sarah Coles. From far above, the area around Yanghai Cemetery looks like a collection of ground-dwelling wasps' dens drilled into a gravely desert. It gets hot in this region of remote western China up to nearly 120 degrees Fahrenheit and dry. That's a hard knock climate. But it's perfect for preserving Asian artifacts. And if you zoom in on the region and dig in, as archaeologists have, you'll find tombs with well-kept secrets. Inside two of them, scientists found not just human remains, but the remains of what covered those humans. I'm talking about clothes and not just any clothes. But pants. These are the oldest pants discovered on Earth, more distressed than any jeans gap can offer. Dating back some 3,000 years, they're tailored wool and constructed from sewn together pieces of uncut fabric. If Project Runway had magically predated television by about 2,930 years, the designer of these lead covers would have had a shot at the whim. But resting in peace with these pants were other artifacts, ones that provide clues about how pants got there in the first place, and why we wear them instead of tunics or togas or kilts. There were grave goods, quote-unquote, as researcher Make, that's M-A-Y-K-E, I hope I'm calling that right, Wagner of the German Archaeological Institute. And... Her colleagues called them in the official publication about the find nestled underground with their gone but not forgotten owners. The two pants wearers were buried with weapons and gear for riding horses. The oldest known horses belong to nomadic horsemen in Asia. Putting these facts past prime pants plus equestrian effects and war paraphernalia together added heft to an idea that archaeologists have had for a while. The split-leg garments we know and and wear often became standard fashion, not because humans have two legs and want to show off their shapes, but because humans began hopping on the backs of horses. The design of the trousers from Yanghui seems to be a predecessor of modern riding trousers, which, together with other grave goods in the tombs, allows the assumption that the invention of bifurcated lower body garments is related to the new epoch of horseback riding and greater mobility, says Allwright Beck, researchers studying the design and construction of early clothing. And their construction suggested to the archaeologists that these pants weren't designed just to protect these significant elements in the Turpin region, but were optimized for harsh travel. 
and the world's oldest jeans was made by Levi Strauss and Company in San Francisco circa 1879. While these pants and their equine riding wears, if you don't know what equine is, is a horse, uh, date back to between the 13th and 10th century BCE. Leg separating fabric didn't catch on in Euro civilized, which means Greek or Roman culture, for a while after that. Only barbarians, those cultured people, believed wore trousers. Take the Scythians, a group of Iranian nomads, or the Hunu of Central Asia. The Greeks called the Middle Easterners and Persians lower wear sacks, and not in a nice way. The Greco-Roman fun-making stopped, though. Around the time those civilized state builders realized that mounted soldiers, the cavalry, had a huge advantage over average-heighted people running around on their own two feet. To maintain military dominance, they needed to get atop the equines to avoid tangling their tunics and to protect their nether regions. And so enter pants, which were also warmer as these people expanded northward. Northward, sorry. When the Romans wore loose pants, they gave them a nice name, brocade, a word that later became the English breeches. And after the Romanics lost their military dominance despite their attire, the people in charge of Europe were full-on horse-riding pants lovers. A person strolling through a plaza would no longer be called out as a barbarian for two-cylinder tire. Instead, he signified to the world that he was ready for battle, or at least ready to hop on a horse and head somewhere important, leg spread. A section from the article Life Science. I'm moving on to something else now. Sorry, I need to let you know. So this is um, from the Life Science. Pants wearing became an everyday affair in Europe during the 8th century after the fall of the Roman Empire. When the continent fell under the rule of warriors who fought from horseback the knights, Turchin explained. So wearing pants became associated with high status men and gradually sp spread to other males. The connection between pants and horse riding also explains why women stuck to skirts until recently. Except, of course, for the female Amazonian warriors, they wore pants. Moving on to another article. And I had the name, lost the name, found the name, and lost the, game, the name again. So I'm sorry about that, who this article is supposed to be attributed to. So pants in ancient history. In ancient China, as early as the first millennium BCE, historians believe that it was common for working class men and women to wear trousers or leggings. Now, this is in China. In ancient Greece, painted pottery from the late 400 BC depicted warrior women wearing pants too. A series of photographs commissioned by the government of India in the 19th century to gather information about clothes, customs, trade, and religions of the different racial groups on the subcontinent 
showcased the number of Muslim, Sikhi, and Hindu women wearing salwar-style pajama pants that was eventually adopted by Europeans during British East India Company rule in India. According to Smithsonian Magazine, in mid-1800s in America, women often wore 15-pound skirts in the name of modesty. And this is how the person wrote it, which means that it had a problem with modesty, I don't know. But I liked those skirts, and I don't really think they were 15 pounds. Just saying, this is a biased comment on her side online. Women complained of overheating and impaired breathing, sweeping along filthy streets, tripping over stairs, crushed organs from whalebone stays, and laced corsets and getting caught in factory machinery, writes historian Anne-Marie Strassel. By 1850, Amelia Bloomer, a woman's rights activist and the first woman to own, operate, and edit a newspaper for women, popularized the Bloomer pants. Loose trousers gathered at the ankles, like the woman's harem trousers worn in the Middle East and Central Asia. Pay attention to harem in that statement. In the 1900s, with women taking to industrial work during World War I and II, it became a necessity to wear pants and overalls. In 1911, the Paris Court Couturer, I, I can't say this word, Paul Perrette introduced harem pants as part of his efforts to reinvent and liberate Western female fashion. His contemporary Coco Chanel, who often dressed in her boyfriend suits herself, began designing pants for a woman to wear doing horseback riding. These women, Hollywood stars Catherine Hepburn and Marlene Dietrich, rebelliously stepped out to their movie premieres in full tan suits and raised quite a few eyebrows. I put on pants 50 years ago and declared a sort of middle road, Catherine Hepburn said, who wore her brother's clothes as a child And this was a 1981 interview. To this day, Audrey Hepburn's chic pants, as they call it, from her 1956 film Funny Face is still trending with everyone trying to attempt her look. Now, let me get to another part of interesting information. Who is Audrey Hepburn? A famous actress, of course. She and actor Mel Ferrer fell in love. She was married in 1954. She had been engaged once before, eager to start a family. Hepburn quickly fell pregnant but lost a child to a miscarriage in 1955. She lost a second child in 1959, supposedly after falling from a horse while filming The Unforgiven, and would endure two more miscarriages in 1965 and 1967. But between the heartbreaks, she and Ferrer found joy and welcomed their first and only child in 1960. Even though they claimed to be happy, husband Ferrer was said to be jealous and controlling. There were affairs on both sides of the marriage. 
Hepburn had a secret relationship with Sabrina co-star William Holden, who was also married. Holden was deeply in love with Hepburn, according to reports, and even once called her the love of his life. The actress also reportedly had a dalliance with screenwriter Robert Anderson, while Ferrer had several affairs of his own. They announced their divorce in November 1968. Hepburn's second great romance, according to her, came as a surprise. She was introduced to widower Robert Walders in 1980 through a mutual friend though Hepburn was still married to her second husband at the time. At the time, Hepburn was still married to Italian psychiatrist Andrea Dotti, whom she had met in 1968 and wed the following year. They also had a child together, Luca. Though the marriage was effectively over, so they say, by the time Hepburn and Walders became serious, she wanted to prepare Dotti and Luca for the news she had found someone new. Dottie was said to have taken the news well. The pair remained together unmarried, but very much in love. When Audrey would be asked why she didn't marry him, she'd also say, why mess with a good thing, Walters told people. They stayed this way until Hepburn's death at 63 in 1993 after a battle with a rare form of abdominal cancer. That's just one of them. Here is the second one that they've been praising about wearing pants and making it so popular. This is actress Katherine Hepburn. They have the same name, but they're not related. A wayward tomboy who was spoiled after being traumatized by her close brother's suicide. The family itself, having a history of suicides, married a subservient, rich Ludlow Ogden Smith, who even agreed to change his last name to hers to get married. You see where we're going here? She later had an affair with Hollywood agent Leyland Hayward, which ultimately ended her marriage with Luddy. They divorced in 1934. She then fell in love with director John Ford, who was married at the time to a woman named Mary. John Ford was an alcoholic. Alcoholic, I don't know why I'm calling it that way. Especially after he learned that he had an enlarged liver. The director was religious and wanted to marry Catherine. However, the wife would not agree with the divorce and threatened to take his favorite child. Catherine offered $150,000 for Mary to free him, but Mary refused. All this was happening while she was still with the agent, even though their relationship had become strained. Until... Leyland found someone else to marry to. Ford continued to be stuck between two opinions while Catherine started a relationship with Howard Hughes to see if he could force him into a decision. It didn't change anything, but Catherine enjoyed the lavish life that millionaire Hughes provided. He eventually proposed to her, but it didn't go anywhere after she showed his dislike for or she witnessed his dislike for where she came from after visiting her hometown. Later on, Ford died and told Catherine on his deathbed that he always loved her and also told him all about Spencer Tracy and their mentor and mentee relationship. After his death, she had a 30-year affair 
with actor Spencer Tracy, who was married as well and refused to divorce until he died. Tracy quietly separated from his wife, then reconciled but spent decades living apart from her, both to protect her from his affair and to keep it hidden from the public. But the rest of Hollywood and certainly anyone who ever worked with Hepburn or Tracy knew what was really going on. But Hepburn and Tracy's affair wasn't without challenges, both from the nature of the relationship and the star's own personal demons. Tracy reportedly struggled with alcohol and infidelity, periodically checking out of his relationship with Hepburn to grapple with his own issues. Tracy had almost died in 1965 from heart disease and only survived by a miracle, but suffered poor health in the years that followed. The actor spent his final two years living a quiet life with Hepburn, who looked after him until he suffered a heart attack and died June 10, 1967. According to Burke, Hepburn wanted to see if she could be of some help to Louise and Tracy's children and said to her over the phone, You know Louise, you and I can be friends. You knew Spencer at the beginning and I knew him at the end. Or we can just go on pretending. Louise's reply stopped Hepburn in her tracks. Oh yes, but you see, I thought you were only a rumor. She waited until Louise died and then she revealed her relationship to the press. Now, why do you think I had revealed all of this to you? Especially two insignificant stars, personal lives. The reason is this. Should we as believers be taking our cues from these types of people about what we should or should not wear, who are obviously under satanic bondage and do not know the holiness or the freedom of Mashiach. Please think about this. Thank you for listening and until next time. To check out more or to contact me, you can reach me on Telegram at Kodashim Royale or on Wattpad at Kaleidoscope the Pen or on WordPress at Little Kaleidoscope Girl. You can also check me out on my website, Let's Talk Truth with Thank you and be blessed.